my guest today is Barrister David Hirsch, who is the chair of the Sydney Peace Foundation. It's International Peace Day on the 21st of September. What are you doing to create more peace in your world, in your mind, in your family, in your friends? Interesting question. So the Peace Foundation awards a prestigious prize each year to a activist, environmentalist, somebody who is making headways in peace. And I had a fascinating conversation with David all about that and much more. Here's our conversation. You got to You're listening to Karen Swain, to teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello, welcome to Accentuate the Positive Media. I'm so delighted to present... David Hirsch, who's with me, who has been a barrister for a very long time, a few years, David, 30 years or so, and is the chair of the Sydney Peace Foundation. You've been involved with the Sydney Peace Foundation since 2003. For people that don't know exactly what the Sydney Peace Foundation is, would you like to tell us what exactly the Sydney Peace Foundation is? Sure, Karen. Um, The Sydney Peace Foundation is a foundation of the University of Sydney. So we, we were created from a department called Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies. And we were originally created for the purpose of putting on events, awarding the Sydney Peace Prize, and trying to get some support for the Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies. But uh, we're an independent uh, foundation. We're not the same thing as the centre. And over the years, we've become a bit of an event Um, We've become part of the city of Sydney's intellectual firmament. You know, our task is really to bring interesting and important peacemakers and peace builders and peace thinkers to Sydney uh, so that we can sort of have have a week of talking about big issues rather than real estate and cricket. We've been doing that pretty successfully for the last 17 years. You have indeed, and, you, and there's been some amazing people that have been awarded the Sydney Peace Prize. I was very involved with the Sydney Peace Prize last year because I put on a Peace Day festival in Sydney with uh, Deborah Shepherd from Embrace Life to celebrate International Peace Day, which is a global phenomenon on the 21st of September. And last year's right. Sydney Peace prize was awarded to Julian Burnside, who is a solicitor and a barrister, and he talks a lot about the plight of asylum seekers. That was fascinating. How do you come to choose the people that are awarded the prize? That's a really, really good question. We have a jury, usually seven members. Some members are from the Sydney Peace Foundation executive. Others are external members. And we, uh, we get nomination through the course of the year, that we have nominations open for several months. Then the jury sifts through these many, many nominations and basically vets them. Uh, we research every one of them. Uh, we talk about, about them amongst ourselves. Uh, there's three or four meetings, and we just keep narrowing down the field to find that, that, that year's winner. Um, what we're looking for, though, is that we do have certain criteria. It's not... You, it's not sufficient to just be a you know a good person. Um, there there are three things that we look for, uh, and our guiding principles are somebody who's made a significant commitment to peace with justice, 
respect for human rights, and also the language and practice of nonviolence. So those are the three criteria that we judge all of our nominations against, and then they work themselves through the system. And inevitably, you will come up with a handful of people uh, each year who are of particular relevance at that moment. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, last year, Julian Burnside was really very much the man of the moment. Um, although he was actually, uh, the decision was made, you know, the, a year before he was given the, the award, he was given the award in November, but the decision was made a year before. But I think the jury took the view that um, the issue of uh, asylum seekers and our deplorable conduct towards them was not going to get any better through the course of the year, and we weren't disappointed from that point of view. Um, Julian was extremely relevant, and he, he, he delivered a very compelling City of Sydney Peace Prize lecture, uh, which has mm. been recorded, as you probably know, and, mm. and, and talked about a lot. Uh, so that's how he came to be uh, chosen. He was the right person at the right time, and he was selected out of a field of 30 or 40 nominees from around the world. I know you've had some amazing people that you've awarded the prize to, Mary Robinson, obviously Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Xavier now Guzmao, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. his name. Uh, Guzmao and uh, Professor Muhammad. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Muhammad Yunus. Muhammad Yunus was the first Sydney Peace Prize winner back in 1998. He set up a, a bank that is really was geared to making loans to the ultra poor. It was just a way of bringing people out of poverty. Um, and that was in 1998. Ten years later, ten years later, he was awarded the Nobel Prize. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we like to think we found him first. <laughs> we found them first. So <laughs> how do you think the impact of, um, I'm going to come back to who you've nominated this, or who the, who's getting the prize this year. He's an artist who has been exploring injustice for over 45 years, and he's a humanitarian artist. George Gittos, how do you say his last name? Yeah. Gittos? Gittos. Gittos. But how do you think that it impacts the world or, or peace on our planet, you know, awarding people this prize? What's the impact, do you think? Oh, look, that's, a, that's an interesting question because it's difficult to make it measurable. You know, yeah. we're living in a world where everybody wants to say, prove to me that this, you know, caused that much economic difference. Uh, economic difference. Not, mm, yeah. But that's, that seems to be the benchmark of, of, of difference, something that is somehow measurable. Um, we take the view that, we, that the Sydney Peace Prize is designed to get people uh, inspired, yeah. to, to motivate people, to say, my goodness, look, there's some remarkable people out there who have worked against the odds um, for principle, and they have done remarkable things. Mm -hmm. uh, each of the people who we've awarded the prize to, you know, has a, a history of accomplishment. And, and the, the, there's a significant prize money that goes with this prize. It's a $50,000 prize. Um, and the, you know, the, the money, you know, gets applied to the works of these, the good works of these people. Yeah. So there, there's the impact that way. But really, Absolutely. you know, uh, we, we, I take the view, and I think that the, the Peace Foundation has always taken the view, that um, people need to be inspired. And you never know where it's going to go. 
Absolutely. Yeah. George Gitto is, is interesting for about 10,000 reasons, but not, <laughs> least of, not least of which is that he is very appealing to younger people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. he, he, he mentioned something to me a while ago. He said, um, David, do you realize that of the 7,000 or so HSC art students in New South Wales, about 3,000 of them write about me? Wow. Wow. I said, hmm, that's interesting. Well, I mentioned to my now 20-year-old daughter that George Giddows had won the uh, Sydney Peace Prize, and she said, I wrote about him when I did my HSC art. There you go. Look, he's a fascinating, fascinating character who has done amazing things. I'd love to get him on the show. Maybe you can hook that up for me, David. <laughs> well, he's in, in Jalalabad. <laughs> I know. He travels the world doing his thing. He's amazing. If people want to look him up and see the sort of things that he's doing, he, he is amazing. But getting back to inspiration, that's what I'm all about with the show. It's like putting conversations out there and having this on radio and putting on events to inspire people to act because um, when we act through inspiration and not motivation, amazing things happen, you know. When, you've, when you're impulsed, you hear someone speak or you see something and you go, I want to do that or I want to make a difference and then action comes from that. That's how we... That's how we transform our world. So it's very important. Mm. Well, I like to think that we've done, we've done that. Mm. And I can't tell you how many people have been motivated in what ways. But for example, a few years ago, Cynthia Mong, who was a Burmese uh, doctor, was awarded the Sydney Peace Prize. And she's not a particularly well-known person, but she has, has devoted herself to running this clinic on the, the Thai-Burmese border. And we were really appealing to young medical students people who would like to get involved with her group, with Médecins Sans Frontières and things like that. And I think it worked. There certainly have been a number of people who have then made inquiries of how they can work with her in the developing, developing countries. So yeah, you need people like that and um, it's planting a seed, isn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. But tell me, David, how did you get involved in this? So you're working away as a barrister. Yeah. What happened to make you say, I want to do something? Oh, well, that's, yeah. as everything, Karen, there's a story behind that too. But um, I think probably to maintain my mental health in, in, <laughs> in the world of the law, because I've been in the law since 1984. I've been at it for a while. Yeah. I used to do yoga regularly. Uh -huh. You used to? You're not <laughs> doing it anymore? No, I I have to confess, uh, I've not been uh, as rigorous in my practice as I once was. Okay. But I, for many years, attend a group in, in Sydney called Yoga and Daily Life. I would, um, you know, go to classes you know, usually once or twice a week, and Yoga and Daily Life was involved in some peace conference at uh, Darling Harbour in Sydney. And I attended the peace conference just to see what that was about, and, you know, one thing led to another, and I met uh, Catherine Greiner. Now, Catherine Greiner was at that time, for the for those people who don't know, Catherine Greiner, Catherine Greiner's husband was the uh, premier of uh, New South Wales, Nick Greiner. She was involved in many pursuits and was happened to have been the chair of the Sydney Peace Foundation at that time. And I met her at this conference and one thing led to another and she asked if I would join. So I became a member of the Executive Council since 2003. And, you know, it, it's something that sort of percolates. And I've always wanted to do, you know, socially aware things. Uh, in, in my practice as a barrister, I work in a very particular field. I, I do medical cases, 
and I work pretty much exclusively for the injured patients against the establishment, basically, against you know, doctors and hospitals who were a formidable uh, opponent. So I'm not uncomfortable with the idea of working for what you might call the little people, you know, against established forces. And I enjoy that, and I've been doing it for a long time. So I think I've always been sort of congenitally wired to take on what I, I perceive to be just causes. In fact, it's difficult it doesn't trouble me. <laughs> I think we should be awarding you the Sydney Peace Prize, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but tell me, how has it changed you being involved? I've met some remarkable people. Absolutely. I mean, having been involved in this organisation for, well, since 2012 years now, yeah, well, into the 12th year. I mean, I've met all of the prize winners. You cannot help but be, you know, affected by hearing their stories. I mean, it's not just a question of listening to the lectures, but you get to meet them socially and spend some time with them. And, you know, I mean, each one of them has a unique personal journey that yeah. they've been through to bring them to the point that they, that they were at. I mean, for example, Julian Burnside. Julian Burnside used right. to be the barrister to the conservative corporate end of uh, Melbourne. And he still does corporate work. I mean, it's not as if he, he has jettisoned work, but he decided through a number of experiences that uh, he, he had involving asylum seekers uh, and, and also some other work that he had done, that social justice was a calling for him. And after years and years of basically working for the establishment, he found himself on the other side and adopted that as, as very much part of his persona and um, it was very gratifying for him. So that changed him. Do you keep in contact with him? I do actually. I've had some, I mean, infrequent contact, but yes, actually Julian and I have been in contact with each other. How has it changed him being the recipient of the Sydney Peace Prize? Well, he's been the recipient of a lot of prizes right. Julian, in the last mm -hmm. few years. But he made a point of saying that the Sydney Peace Prize was the most significant award that he has ever received, which was very gratifying for us, obviously. Fantastic, fantastic. And obviously the foundation is a labour of love for all involved, and it takes up a lot of time. So kudos to you. I just can't stop thinking about the barristers doing yoga. I think we need more yoga in the, in the courts, actually. Well... You may be surprised to hear this, but here at the Bar Association, we actually do have a regular yoga class. Yay! What about meditation <laughs> classes? I think that's part of it. Good, good, good. <laughs> I tell you what, things, they are a-changing in the corporate world. So you've been obviously in the... I've never been in the corporate world, so I don't know, but I do see from afar... Do you think, you know, issues like peace and consciousness and, you know, going within and personal growth, do you think that that's shifting inside the corporate world? It, it is, I think. And, and here you're getting into some, you know, of my own little ideas. Uh, I can't speak for anybody else. These are really, you know, my own. But, I mean, the, the, the points that you make are, of course, relevant on an individual level. You know, there's a lot of people who are moving into... Uh, you know, more a more spiritually aware uh, lifestyle. And, you know, people, there are people in every walk of life. So you shouldn't be surprised to hear that there are people in the, the corporate world who, who have gravitated towards spiritual things. But perhaps more relevant is that I think that businesses are beginning to realize 
that if they alienate the spiritual, if they, through their practices, they put off people who you know, are inclined to social justice causes and spiritual development, if they're seen to be alien to them, it's not good for business. Yeah. And I think a lot of these businesses actually want to be seen to be, not aligned to, but supportive of mm-hmm. that, uh, that new way of thinking and that youthful way of thinking. And that's a good thing. I mean, for, it doesn't matter what their motivation is, really. You know, if they get behind uh, supporting this kind of cultural change, more power to them. More power to them. Uh, it's, look, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to hear that. Before I even entered the corporate world, I, I did a massage course and, and the people that were teaching me had been in the corporate world climbing that ladder and they just were so stressed all the time that they had this complete change in what they did and decided to do massage and then teach people how to massage, therapeutic massage. And that was when I was very young in my early 20s. So I saw that straight away and thought, well, maybe the corporate world is not a good idea because everyone's so stressed all the time. And I think that that's what brings people to a yoga practice or a meditation practice or a spiritual practice. And once you get in touch with your center, then it's only natural to want to reach out and help others, I find, anyway. What do you think? I think that's probably right. But perhaps an even more interesting question is why were they so motivated to to climb the greasy pole to begin with? (laughs) This is a very good question. This is a very good question. I think I I can tell you that the situation for many people who are involved in the law is that they see this as a, you know, a potentially lucrative business. And it certainly can be for some, but there's a huge attrition rate. But what people may be motivated to get into law for is because it happens to be, you know, a, a potentially good lifestyle. But then when they get involved in the actual practice of it, particularly when you work in large corporate type firms, many people see themselves as a cog in somebody else's wheel. And uh, it takes, you know, years and years to move up. And and, and I think that there's a reevaluation of their motivation. It's interesting that, um, and this is a point that I've often mused about the big firms and this is not just in Sydney this this is across the world I mean the, the large international successful law firms cherry pick the best and the brightest you know coming out of law school I, by that I mean those with the highest Marks. grades mm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah just because you have a highest grade certainly doesn't mean that you're going to be a particularly good lawyer because no. one really has very little to do with it with the other yeah. but those firms have captured that high-end achiever market. One of the problems, I think, is that when you work in, in, the, in the plaintiff's field, which is what I'm working at, the people who get into plaintiff work are generally not the people who have been selected by the big firms. The high-end law the firms, people, yeah. They're people who may have more life experience. They mm-hmm. may be a little older. They may have uh, you know, a desire to sort of help people more than become successful lawyers. I don't know. I mean, curiously enough, I was actually recruited to, to a very big firm when I was in Canada, which is where I'm from originally, because I actually did have good marks. Um, there you go. But I ended up saying, this really isn't for me. I, I didn't have anything against the people that I was working with. I was very friendly with them, but it just didn't sit right with me. And I ended up coming to Australia in 1989. I actually had a scholarship to study at the University of Sydney and uh, my life 
completely changed because I got off that ladder. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think now plaintiff, I mean, there are some very, very capable, very capable plaintiff lawyers, and that's just part of the, the how the landscape of the law has been formed. But uh, whether they're plaintiff lawyers or defense lawyers, I think there is a spiritual awakening across the board. But I have to tell you, I think that the law, certainly in my area, I find that people become a whole lot less aggressive. Really? How so? Uh, look, I think historically, particularly in my area, because I do medical law, yeah. um, it was very much an us and them attitude. I think there was a huge amount of defensiveness on the part of the, the medical profession. And they fought tooth and nail. And I think that that has actually changed. I think that the people who are now in that area see the value of appropriate compensation to people who've been injured and um, are not fighting for the sake of fighting so much anymore. And right. certainly in my particular area, because it's a, it's a small pool mm. of people who specialize in medical law, there's a great deal of mutual respect. Right. And we get along much better with each other than we did 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think the outcomes are actually better for the, uh, for, the, for the clients, for the injured people. Well, it's great to hear this perspective because, you know, this perspective that we get about most things comes through our free-to-air media. And uh, they're not always presenting perspectives like this, you know. They're, they're always presenting the them and us attitude and the big man versus the little man and how unfair everything all is and you've got to fight for your rights. So it's wonderful to hear this perspective that there's a lot more allowing both from big business and plaintiffs happening in our world. I mean, I can't speak for, or I suppose you can't speak for places like the US or other countries, but in Australia, maybe Australia's leading the way. I do think that there is a shift, certainly in the area that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's true. Wonderful. Let's talk about the Peace Prize itself. So this year mm-hmm. you've awarded it to this artist who is George Gittos, who is an yeah. activist. He uses his art to create, I suppose it's more about creating awareness because a lot of his art is quite kind of violent, I suppose. He's, tell us more about him and, and uh, what he's doing in the world. Okay, well, look, George has been in the art scene since the 1960s. Right. Uh, and he's had a number of different, you know, interests and incarnations. I mean, he started starting with puppetry. He's been uh, doing films, painting, and he's had a very, very broad reach. He had an interest, an early interest in Islamic art when he was a student, you know, here in Sydney and ended up studying fine arts at the University of Sydney for a while and then uh, in New York and then his, his career basically took off. But um, he's probably best known for the fact that he's been involved in the conflict zones of the world and he has, um, I can't say reported on, but created art from some of the most difficult and dangerous you know, places in the world. And you're right, it, it, is, it is confronting. But you know, it's interesting. Um, when I was learning more about him, I discovered that um, there was a, a particular war artist, a German war artist from the First World War, a fellow named Otto Dix. And Dix was not doing the kind of war art that people like to see, namely heroic flag-waving, attacking the other troops, kind of rest-beating. 
that kind of war glorification. This fellow was actually sketching the absolute horrors of the First World War. He did confronting work, and he was not very well liked <laughs> by the establishment at the time. But Otto Dix became, it seems, the leader of the German pacifist movement. And his art, which really depicted the brutality of war, uh, was embraced by peacemakers. Yeah. Now, this idea that, you know, art to be peaceful has to be, some, you know, somehow bucolic and full of butterflies, it's just not so. I mean, if you really want to you know, shake people up, why don't you force them to look at the brutality of humanity? So and that's exactly what Otto Dix did. And I think that that's very much what Kiddo is, is on about. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like, let's... Let's just show you what a bad idea war is. Could we just illustrate that more, people showing the horrors of war? Because obviously the people that create war think it's a good idea. <laughs> and well, maybe yeah. these artists are saying, can we just show you how it's not a good idea? Can we just show you, the, you know, how horrendous it is? And so I suspect that that sort of illustration of the horrific atrocities gets people like the peacemakers in action. But, you know, coming from a, a law of attraction, deliberate creation perspective, I understand that you cannot scream no at something and have it go away. You have to find, you have to find the vibration you're looking for. So being angry and upset about the atrocities that are happening in our world doesn't actually help them go away. So well, it's that's interesting. True. You ask yourself, what is really the motivation behind this work? It, it is not just a, a shout into the dark. It's not just a, it's not a Munchian scream. You know, that's not what the objective is. There's, there's a compassion dimension to Gittos. And Gittos will say that that is really his motivation. Okay. Is to bring compassion, to force the viewer to share in the pain of others. Empathy. Uh, it isn't just a tableau of horrors. Mm. It, there's, there's much more to it than that. He sees good in people. He sees humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, and he depicts that humanity. And people you know, either pick up on it or they don't. But there's no question that a lot of his painting is confronting that yeah. way. Yeah. But he's very compassionate as a man. And I think that his overarching motivation is to engender a compassion for others uh, in the viewer. Mm. So that's, that's just some comments about what some people have called a war art, but it's probably a misnomer to describe it as war art. It's the art that's born of conflict, but it's not, certainly not a glorification of, of war in, in any way. But more recently, he's been a, a filmmaker. He's made a number of oh. very interesting and his most recent film is something called Snow Monkey, oh. uh, which just did its Australian premiere at the Melbourne uh, Film Festival just, I think, a month or two ago. And it will be shown with a couple of other Giddo's films by the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art uh, starting in November. There's going to be a, a showing, I think it's one for a few weeks, under the heading What the World Needs Now. Aha, uh -huh. fantastic. <laughs> what the world needs now. I might come back to that because I just want to ask about how the Peace Prize is awarded and what goes on. Or maybe we'll come back to that question. Because you've met so many amazing people, as you said before, being involved in this organisation. What is your sense of where we're going as a human race and war? Because the free-to-air media likes to 
show you how much war is happening and then everyone gets up in arms and says, oh, we're in such a terrible state, you know, the world is such a terrible place. But is there less war on the planet now than there used to be? Are we becoming Actually, more yes. peace? Yeah. You know, there's a, I don't know if you're, if you know or you're well you would know because uh, somebody from the global peace index actually spoke at your conference yeah last. yeah the, the global peace index is a very interesting initiative again a, a, a sydney businessman named steve, steve killerlay steve killerlay came up, came up with this idea of actually ranking the world from the point of view of peacefulness Mm-hmm. And again, we're not talking about just general happiness. I mean, the, the amount of money that is spent on war, on security, on policing, on prisons and things like that. And the point that he's making is that actually peace is economically better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so if you're, really, if, if you're a bean counter, I mean, of course, in the short term, there are going to be some people who will be profiteering enormously from conflict and from war. I mean, think of Halliburton in the United States. Think of the people who, who, who have the contract to, to run Manus Island. I mean, there is, there is money to be made in maintaining this state of conflict and, and conflict readiness. But overall, if you take a look at the statistics, there are fewer wars on planet Earth than there were before. But you're quite right. You'd be forgiven for thinking it's the opposite uh, because the free-to-air media, the diet of the media is conflict. People actually like conflict. They eat it up. And, you know, you, you look skeptical about that. But I think Well, the- I think Facebook and places like that have proven that actually people like people like love too. They like cats and dogs doing cute things. You know, they like love too. They like to see they like to be uplifted. They like to be inspired. Uh, I think that, that parad- uh, that's an old paradigm of the media that says people want the drama. I think that, you know, they don't. <laughs> they don't. I've got to agree with you on that. I mean, I'm amazed that social media has really sort of taken over where free-to-air media, you know, has, has left off. I mean, if you really want to get a pulse of what people are thinking, go and you can actually find out what they're thinking yeah, yeah. because they're so prolific about telling you what they're thinking at any you know given moment of the day. Well, Mark but, Zuckerberg but, is the man to ask because he celebrated the one billionth Facebook person the other day. One billion people on the planet are on Facebook. But anyway, sorry, go on, David. There are, as with all things, I mean, there's upsides and downsides to everything. I mean, social media is a great way of you know bringing people together and broadcasting ideas. There are some deep and dark ideas that cannot be explored, you know, in 160 characters. You, you have to... On Twitter. <laughs> you, you can't, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, if you really want to get people thinking, you've got to get them reading you've got to you've got to and if you if you want to get them thinking about people if they in other words if their desire for you know leadership then you have to have credible leaders who have a message that is worth listening to and being spread mm. i'm concerned that you know there's an old saying there's a difference between a thought and an opinion okay it's not the same thing okay <laughs> let's explore that what's and, the difference between a thought and an opinion well an opinion is something that may be true for you but may actually not be true in any you know real sense what worries me is that so much of what passes as news today is other people's opinions well exactly yeah. and then you take on other people's opinions you actually haven't thought about it you've just said yeah they're right i share their opinion it's not really something you well, think about I hate to be a barrister about this, but I rest my case because you've just made the point. <laughs> you, know, you haven't really thought about it. Yeah. You, ha- you yeah. have an opinion, but yeah. you haven't really thought about it. Yeah. 
So thoughts are not the same thing as opinion. So you t and I think that so much of social media is people providing you with the benefit of their opinions yes. on things. But what we really need is more thoughtful dialogue uh, about things. Hopefully, you know, the Sydney Peace Prize gets people thinking. And of course, we use social media, but we use social media to try to get people to to think about larger issues. And, you know, we, we at the Sydney Peace Foundation, of course, provide links to places where people can get more thoughtful insights into things. So the Sydney Peace Prize, it's in its 17th year, is that right? Yeah. And have you found that it's the interest in it is expanding or has it been slow? Because, you know, having explored peace intimately last year with the Sydney Peace Day Festival, I found that getting people interested in that conversation around peace, I come from like the new age spiritual community and they're all talking about it, but other people not interested really, because we're, you know, the war is not in our backyard. And so we came from a perspective of it's about inner peace and, and you know, getting out of the stressful mind and, and finding the joy within. So that's the perspective that we came from in a place like Australia or Sydney. You know, we're not confronted with war so much in this country. Have you found that people are interested in, and it's expanding? You've hit on a very sensitive point, Karen, for this reason. I do that. Peace is a hard thing to sell. As a product, it is a hard thing to, to get people you know, motivated behind because it's basically an, an idea. People want to see results. And people will, are prepared to align themselves behind something that actually you know, has demonstrable results, one would think. As an idea, it's very hard to go around and try to get people to support the idea of peace. Having said that, when you turn it into issues like justice, uh, like human rights, like nonviolence, you'll actually find that a lot of people, and I think particularly now young people, are motivated by that. Yes. That there are young people who want to say, that matters to me. Nonviolence matters to me. It's not just the notion of peace, it is nonviolence respect for human rights, issues of social justice, people actually do fall into, you know, fall behind that kind of cause. And one of the things that we are doing at the Peace Foundation quite deliberately mm -hmm. is we're focusing on the younger generation. Yeah. You know, so many of the great peace builders of the past, and if you take a look at the gallery of people that we've had uh, as winners, are older people, and they are perhaps more relevant to you know an, an older crowd. But you know, by and large, you're dealing with people who you know cut their teeth in the in the world of social justice in the '60s and the '70s, and are being you know recognized for the hard work that they've done. But where do young people fit into that? How do young people take that message on board? The longevity of the Peace Foundation and the whole mission is only going to continue if we get new blood, if we get young people motivated. And part of the reason why Kittos is the good choice that he is, is that young people love him. Yeah. He did the artwork for um, the big day out <laughs> years ago. Um, Go Kittos. So you're awarding him the prize in November here in Sydney. How does it work? When did you? Ah. When did he receive the prize? I mean, how does the whole structure work with uh, the Sydney Peace Prize? Well, he, he was told early this year that um, he had been chosen. Okay. But uh, the deal is there are no free lunches, Karen. There are things that have to be done. And the principal thing that all Sydney Peace Prize winners have to do is they deliver what we call the, the City of Sydney Peace Prize Lecture which takes place in the town hall and this year it will be on the 10th 
of November, which is a Tuesday, and it's it's a public lecture. Tickets are available at Ticket Tech. They're not real pricey. There's special prices for students. There's actually been a lot of interest in this already, even though tickets have, you know, we've only just started advertising with any enthusiasm. I mean, we've we've been the tickets have been available for a while, but there's already a great deal of interest in it. But yes, so the, the award winner has to deliver the City of Sydney Peace Prize lecture. There's entertainment, there's speeches, the Lord Mayor is there, and the prize is actually awarded to the winner on the night. And then there's a reception afterwards. This year we're having a dinner at the Hilton Hotel just across the street from the town hall. Uh, and you can get tickets for that as well. Uh, that will probably, in fact, it will almost certainly sell out. So if you're interested in that, you've got to get your tickets for that. Kiddos will also be making a number of media appearances through the week. And on the Friday, uh, he will be attending um, the Peace Day at Cabramatta High School. Cabramatta High School has been involved with uh, the Sydney Peace Foundation for many years. It's a remarkable place. I mean, it's got uh, more than 100 language groups. <laughs> Uh, it is really the melting pot of the world uh, in, in Western Sydney. And the Peace Prize winner always gives a, a talk there. And there's always a big reception that goes you know, through the morning there. But that's, that's a very big deal and one of the most enjoyable parts of the Peace Prize week. The Peace Prize winner will be having some, some smaller events uh, at the uh, University of Sydney and elsewhere as well. So they have to work for it. Yeah. Well, kudos to all of you. And how can people, so if people want to find out more about the Sydney Peace Foundation, it's sydneypeacefoundation.org.au. And obviously it's all volunteer based. Maybe there's some people out there listening to this and they're like, I want to get involved. How can they get involved in the organisation as a volunteer? Well, I mean, the one thing that we need, everybody in this space of social justice needs this, is we need funding. We do get some funding from the City of Sydney. Um, but basically, we rely on uh, the funding of individuals to uh, let us continue to award the prize. And we, we want to put on more and more events. It's a non-profit, as, as you say. And um, we're, we're pretty much, I mean, everybody on the council pretty much is a volunteer. We have a couple of permanent part-time staff. But we, we definitely need financial support. And I think that we're an attractive commodity now. I think that we are reaching a very wide audience. We have a message worth spreading. And there are people, I know, I know that there are people in the corporate world and the philanthropic world uh, who want to be aligned to the kind of work that we do. And we would be very, very grateful for any support from them and, of course, from individuals. The best you can do for us is, well, come along to the, to the lecture and come to the dinner and... Yeah, buy a ticket. And buy a ticket. <laughs> Yeah, buy a ticket right. uh, because, I mean, the Sydney Peace Prize is a global award. It's not just an, an Australian thing. It is a global award, a prestigious global award, and people from all over the globe are happy to receive it and to uh, be a part of it. Any support would be gratefully received from anywhere in the world. Noam Chomsky was our uh, American winner a, a few years ago. I'm just looking at the you know gallery of people who won the prize, and most of them, most of them are international. Are not Australian, yeah. And Githos, is Githos Australian, George Githos? Githos, yes, he is. He's Australian. He, ah, yes, very good. In fact, he grew up in, in Rockdale. Oh, did he? Uh, he's very much Australian, but he is a citizen of planet Earth. Yeah, completely. He just lived 
so many places, and I mean, I think quite remarkably, is, is welcomed in so many places. He has the, a remarkable ability to actually be friends with people on all sides of politics because he has a different kind of message. He doesn't have an us and them mentality. He has an all of us mentality. Don't you love it? Hallelujah to that. I do too. David Hirsch, thank you so much for talking with us on Accentuate the Positive Media. And uh, hopefully you'll throw a few tickets for our subscribers to the station. So if you subscribe to ATP Media, you can be a recipient of that if you're in Sydney. And if you're not, they're not expensive, the tickets. So go and buy one and be a part of the uh, Peace Prize in November on the 10th. And can I just mention and that you know, for your listeners in, in, in the local zone, that these tickets are all available at Ticket Tech. So that's just get on to Ticket Tech and you can get your tickets there. And we look forward to seeing you on the 10th of November. David Hirsch, thank you so much for talking with us. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Karen. Keep up the great work. <laughs> and you too. And you too. David Hirsch from the Sydney Peace Foundation. Fascinating man. So remember, if you want to be a part of, if you're in Sydney and you want to be a part of the Sydney Peace Prize, which is on the 10th of November, you can get your tickets at Ticketek or go to sydneypeacefoundation.org.au. Remember to like us on Facebook, Accentuate the Positive Radio with Karen Swain, or Blissful Beings, Reminders from Home. Clap along if you feel like that.